If you haven't seen the documentary, The Social Dilemma on Netflix, I highly, highly recommend it. It does a really great job of giving important insights into what's going on in our cultural moment right now. The movie explains how social media companies and content companies like YouTube use algorithms to essentially drastically change our world. Algorithms, that's, that's just another word for formulas of computer code. They are what drive our social media feeds, the recommended content on YouTube or Instagram, uh, even the autofill suggestions on Google. And as the movie points out, these companies' algorithms, they, they have just one objective, engagement. They want you to engage. Uh, they want us tapping and scrolling and, and watching for as long as humanly possible because the longer we scroll, the more ads we see. The more ads we see, the more money those companies make, right? It's all very simple. Now that seems relatively harmless until you realize that some of the most engaging content, this is what the algorithms are learning, the stuff that we really wanna click on is often stuff that makes us outraged or, or uh, content which confirms our existing biases or proves to us why the other side, whoever they are, whichever side they're on, why that other side is just a bunch of morons, right? That's the stuff we wanna click on. And you can see why that's a problem. Without even meaning to, our, our harmless scrolling, our idle flipping through the feed, it's shoving us farther and farther into our ideological corners. It's putting up walls between us, uh, between different family members, between different communities, and it is fostering a wave of national hatred unlike we've ever seen before. Suddenly, our country is not just filled with people who have different opinions than us, it's filled with enemies. Enemies uh, out to get us. We clench our, our teeth, we look at the world around us, and we wonder, how could those people possibly be so evil, right? So what are we supposed to do about this? What do we do about this? I mean, other than like, I don't know, burning our phones and going out and living in a cabin in the woods, how do we respond as followers of Jesus? Well, I believe that the answer comes where the answer for this whole series comes, and that's through the mouth of Jesus himself. We need to listen to what he says uh, about loving our enemies. That's what we're talking about today, arguably one of Jesus' most radical, countercultural teachings of all. How do we love our enemies? So go ahead and grab a Bible and, uh, and turn with me to Luke 6, starting in verse 27. Uh, while you're doing that, I just want to greet everybody. I'll greet you at 146th Street, you at North Indy, at, at Fishers, and of course, any of you watching online. Uh, this is definitely different, and uh, I'm not sure I totally love it, but hey, uh, we're going to just kind of roll with the punches here, and, and you know, that's kind of been the, the whole mantra of 2020, hasn't it? Anyway, I love you guys, and I'm, I'm glad we're worshiping together today. Okay, so let's dive into Scripture and look at what Jesus has to say about loving our enemies. Now, a real quick aside before we get into the actual passage, uh, the full Sermon on the Mount is found in Matthew 5, okay? But Luke... Uh, he captures some of the same teachings as, as uh, Matthew does in his gospel. And frankly, his version of this particular teaching of loving your enemies is a bit more fleshed out. And so uh, even though technically this isn't the Sermon on the Mount, it's the Sermon on the Plain, we're just going to we're just gonna read it, and I hope that's okay with you. Please you know, don't send me too many angry emails. Okay, so let me read this. Luke 6, starting in verse 27. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. 
Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, well, then why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, then why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will be truly acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your Father is compassionate. Okay. Jesus throwing the gauntlet down here. Love your enemies. Frankly, of all the teachings of Jesus, this one has got to be the easiest for us to just say, "Mm, nah, (laughs) right? Like, okay, good thought, maybe not. I don't think I want to do that, right? It's just so easy for us to ignore. I mean, think about about how Jesus describes his enemies. Look at verse, verse 27 at the end of that verse. Those who hate you, or verse 28, those who curse you. Last week, we talked about blessing, right? Talked about how blessing is God's favor on you. Well, a curse is the opposite of that. It's asking God to take his favor away from you. Then Jesus goes on, those who hurt you. And in Matthew's version of this teaching, he also includes those who persecute you. And remember, persecution means people who are chasing and hunting you down for some reason. If I were to sum all this up, I would describe an enemy as someone standing in the way of your well-being. Someone standing in the way of your well-being. That could be someone who's standing in the way of your growth or your health or your happiness or your social standing or even your financial situation. An enemy stands in the way of your well-being. Now, in ancient Israel, for the people who first heard Jesus talking about this for the first time, it would not have been very hard for them to imagine who those enemies are, right? I mean, it was a dog-eat-dog world. Dog-eat-dog. It was easy and normal for corrupt people to steal your property or your wealth. If you landed on hard times back then, there was always somebody right around the corner ready to sweep in and take everything away from you. If things turned south with your neighbor, well, guess what they would do? They might curse you. And again, in that time, cursing was a pretty terrible thing to have happen. Taxes were insane back then. Tax collectors, as we've talked about before, they had a reputation for always trying to squeeze you for a little bit more. And of course, the Roman Empire was occupying Israel at the time. They were foreign occupiers. They, you had Roman soldiers you know, walking around keeping the peace, uh, but they would often abuse their power because they could. If you lived in Jerusalem, you would have seen hundreds, hundreds of crucifixions in your lifetime. It wasn't just Jesus. They, the Romans crucified tons of people. Men were nailed to a cross. They were gasping for breath so that the Romans could teach you a lesson. Don't mess with us, right? It wasn't just an execution. These, these executions were really terrorism. All that to say, if you were, if you were in the crowd listening to Jesus uh, teaching this for the first time, it would not have been hard for you to think about who your enemies are. 
There were plenty of people standing in the way of your well-being. So, okay, so let's get back to what Jesus is teaching here. With all these enemies in mind, he says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who hurt you. Like, what in the world is Jesus talking about here? Does he really mean this? I mean, it feels like some kind of masochism, right? Self-harm. Are followers of Jesus really supposed to be just a bunch of weaklings, letting everyone else just walk all over us? Is that really what Jesus is calling us to? Well, let's, let's take a closer look at what he says next. Look at verse 32. Jesus says, if you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Or the next verse, if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? And so on. He says, even sinners do those things. Now, what I think he's getting at here is the fact that loving those who love you back, doing good only to those who do good to you, it is, it's the status quo, right? It's the easy thing to do. It is the default setting for humanity. But think about it. The status quo, the status quo of our world, it's a mess, right? The, the world is broken. If everybody only loves those who are easy to love, then the world stays full of enemies. The world stays full of hate. If we all just love in the, the easy, default, natural way, nothing's ever going to change. The corrupt will stay corrupt. The evil will stay evil. Haters will, will hate. Haters are going to hate, right? But Jesus, he doesn't want us to maintain the status quo. He never does. Jesus is calling his disciples to something more something more. So let's look at what that is. Look at verse 35. Love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High. For he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. So why are we called to act as children of the Most High? We are called to act that way because we are his children, and we need to act the way that God acts towards the world, right? And how does he act? How does he act? Well, let's think about that. Humanity as a whole has essentially spit in God's face time and time and time again, right? We've turned our back on him. We have rejected him over and over. We take the blessings that God gives us, and we squander them. We, we trample all over one another for our own advancement. We take his creation, God's creation, people, creatures, the, the land itself, and we just trash the whole place. Now, we may not be able to stand in the way of God's well-being, right? He's God, but we can definitely stand in the way of his intentions for this world. And as a result, we act as the enemies of God. Again, that's the default state for humanity. And yet, think for a moment about just how much he loves us in the midst of that. Even as his enemies, time and time again, God offers us grace and forgiveness and mercy, right? Jesus says that at the end of, at the end of that verse, he says he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. Who's unthankful and wicked? I am. You are. We don't, we don't thank God for all that he's given us. We continue to spit in his face. And yet he's, he continues to love. Like what better example do we have of that than the father sending his only son to die on the cross on our behalf, right? Jesus died for us. He didn't deserve death. 
And yet he died for us. And, and even then, think about this, even then, as, as Jesus was dying at the hands of Roman executioners, he prays, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. Can you even imagine, imagine having that level of absolutely undeserved love for people? That's the love that we are called to emulate. It's wild. Verse 36, he says, you must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. So again, here's the question. Why? Why does Jesus call us to this? I mean, we're not God. We're not Jesus. Our default setting is selfishness. So what is the point of asking his followers to do all of this, knowing that we are just going to fail eventually? What's the point? Well, I think the answer boils down to one simple truth. Love and hate are not equal in power. Think about it this way. We know that hate is contagious, right? It, it's, it's what we're seeing in our country right now. When one person hates, another person hates back. That's how it works. Hate spreads. Same thing with corruption. It, it spreads through people and through communities. Abuse, same thing. It gets handed down from generation to generation. Selfishness breeds selfishness. Our brokenness infects the world. But so does love. Love is infectious too. Love spreads from person to person, but love is far, far stronger. It's far stronger than hate. By entering our world through Jesus Christ, our Creator began reversing the flow of hostility. His love started catching on. I mean, imagine Jesus, everywhere He went, lives were transformed, right? People found dignity. Enemies turned into loving family. Just look at His disciples. You've got, you've got Matthew, the, the wealthy Roman-serving tax collector, uh, you know, side by side with Peter, who's this, you know, lower class kid from a fishing village in Galilee. And I mean, if there were natural born enemies ever, they would be them. And yet they were turned into brothers in light of Jesus's love. Or think of the apostle Paul. He started out literally perse persecuting Christians. He was hunting them down. But once he encountered the love of Jesus, what happened to him? He started going around spreading that love to anyone who would listen. Paul became a pioneer bringing the love of Jesus to the Gentile world. Gentiles. Gentiles who were the, the quintessential enemies of the people of God. They were the ones that the, the, the Jews were meant to hate forever, and yet all of a sudden they were brought in with love. As you look at some of the records of the early church, what you see is that the Roman Empire started trying to, to stamp out this little movement of love. They persecuted Christians, they executed them, but these little Christs, as they were called, they kept on loving and loving and loving and loving, and, and the movement, it just spread like a wildfire. Nothing the Romans could do could stamp it out. Yes, ultimately, hate is powerful, it's obvious, but love is irresistible. Love is irresistible. So I believe that Jesus is inviting us to trust that his love will overwhelm hatred. And by loving our enemies, we can upend the status quo and bring healing to our world. So no, loving our enemies is not masochism. It's not, you know, being pushovers. 
No, it is a is a movement of of active, bold, and and powerful world transformation. It's a provocative act that that involves setting aside our rights, setting aside our comfort, maybe even our dignity at times, so that we can upend the status quo, so that we can bring God's irresistible love to bear on our broken world. It's outrageous. It's outrageous, but our Savior Jesus showed us the way. So, okay, let's talk about what this looks like. Let's see if we can find some practical next steps that we can take in our own broken, hate-filled world. Okay, let's talk about this. How can we be compassionate just as our Father is compassionate? How can we love as Jesus loves? I've got three ideas for you, okay? Let's start in verse 29. Jesus says, If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. What happens when you're slapped? What happens when you're slapped? Your your face turns hot. Your adrenaline starts pumping, right? You're outraged. You want to either, either lash out or run away. That's normal. Fight or flight. Turning the other cheek, it's neither of those things. It's not lashing out or running away. Turning the other cheek is a response of humility to an act of violence. Offering your shirt when your coat is taken away, it's a response of generosity to an act of selfishness. They're completely backward acts from the very normal responses that come with outrage. I mean, imagine what this would do if you were the slapper or the coat taker. How would you respond if someone acted in this way? I mean, how incredibly disarmed would you be if, if somebody just offered the, their other cheek or, or said, oh, here, why don't you take my shirt as well? You probably wouldn't even know what to do. You might even be convicted to start changing your ways. When we respond with love to an act of hate, love wins. Love is more powerful than hate. And again, we're trusting that, that what Jesus says is true, that when we love our enemies, that love will spread, not the hate towards us. Okay, so practically speaking, how do you turn the other cheek? What does that actually look like? Well, we all know that at least for most of us, people are not generally slapping us or stealing our coats on a day-to-day basis, but they are doing things that make us feel outraged, to feel that kind of burning sensation in our face, right? Uh, Cutting you in line or insulting you in class or lying about you or trying to scam you in some way, on and on. Your face burns hot when people outrage you, doesn't it? What if, and I'm just throwing this out here because Jesus said it, what if we were to respond in those situations of outrage with positivity? What if we responded with compliments? You remember in in grade school, at least for me, I was was taught that for every put down, we had to give two put ups, right? Do you remember that? I I, I would always take the easy route and be like, I like your shirt, I like your shoes, whatever. But we were taught that you had to give two put ups. What if What if we did the same thing, but it was their put-downs and our (laughs) put-ups? I mean, it's simplistic, but, but think about what would happen. Responding to hate with love, it's a great way for people to see just how selfish they're acting. So this is my challenge to you. The next time you feel outraged by something that a coworker does or something that a family member at Thanksgiving says or someone at the grocery store does, next time you feel that, that burning sensation in your face, compliment them. 
compliment them, and see how far that little act of compassion really goes. Love is stronger than hate. Give it a shot. So that's one idea. Second, in verse 27, Jesus says, do good to those who hate you. And this one, frankly, is a little more intense. We live in a broken world, right? You know, we all know that. So I can confidently say that someone has stood in the way of your well-being sometime recently. Someone has acted like your enemy. Maybe they hurt you or they embarrassed you or, or they insulted you. They acted out of some form of hate. And I don't think I'm crazy to think that you may still hold a grudge, right? You'd be forgiven for, for being normal, like a normal human. You may still hold a grudge. So here's what I want you to do. Think about that person, the person that, that has stood in the way of your well-being. Get them in your mind. You got them? You thinking about them? Okay. Think about how you feel about what they did to you. Now, writing them off, uh, trying to forget about them, brushing it all under the rug, anyone can do that. Anyone can do that. That's just keeping the status quo. But Jesus calls you to be compassionate just as your Father is compassionate. What is a loving, undeserved act that you could take right now towards that person? Could you buy them a gift? Could you uh, give them a shout out on social media? Maybe, maybe you could write them a note, send them some money. I know it's wild, but maybe you could simply forgive them and allow them back into your life. Give them another chance. Allow them to be transformed by the love of Jesus in you. When someone acts in hate, you act in love. Again, I know it's crazy, but remember, hate is powerful, but love is irresistible. Now, one quick aside I want to make, as we, as we talk about all these things, I just want to be clear. There are some situations, like an abusive spouse, for example, where the most loving thing you can do is to back away, is to leave for a time, okay? Staying put in a situation of abuse is not loving, it's enabling, okay? So there's a, there's a distinction here. If that's you, if you find yourself in a situation of abuse, please get help. Please get help. Don't just, don't just maintain the status quo. You can call Grace Church. We've got pastors on call. Or you could call the uh, domestic abuse hotline. Get help, please. Stepping away from an abusive relationship for a time may be exactly the kind of loving action which helps your abusers see their actions for what they really are. Okay. I just felt that was important to make clear because um, I don't want you to feel like you need to stay in the midst of, of abuse. All right? Okay, so I said there were, there were three uh, ideas of how to do this in our world. Number one, compliment your enemies. Number two, act in love towards them. And the final practical response to all of this has to do with the social divides that are driving our nation apart right now. The things I mentioned at the beginning of my message. All these algorithms that are causing us to, to hate one another. In verse 28, Jesus says, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. Undoubtedly, there is a group of people in our country right now that you consider to be standing in the way of your well-being, right? That you consider to be enemies. 
They could be supporters of a specific political party or a protest movement or some ideology or economic class. Based on what you're seeing online these days, thanks to those very helpful algorithms, it sure does seem, doesn't it, like that group is out to get you. They're out to curse you, to hurt you, right? That's what we see, that's all we see. They're dead set on making our lives miserable, and so of course they're our enemies. How could they be so foolish? How could they be such uh, evil people? That's what we're fed day after day. Those are the people that Jesus is asking us to bless, to pray for. He is inviting us to ask for God's favor to rest on them. So the challenge is this, pray for them. Will you pray for them? And I'll tell you, if that is not the hardest thing in all of this, I don't know what is. Because look, if we're honest, we don't want them to be blessed. We don't wish them well. We want them humiliated, defeated, right? That's what our normal response is. But we are called to love. And remember, love is more powerful than hate. If we do this, if we ask God to bless our ideological enemies, I'll tell you what, one of two things is going to happen. One, perhaps God's favor does rest on them. Okay, maybe it does. Maybe they are blessed. Maybe they start to see the light. Who knows? Maybe the presence of Jesus will enter into their life and they will change their ways. Assuming, of course, that they're actually the wrong ones and that you're the right one. Well, whatever, whatever. Maybe God's blessing will fall on them and they will change. But even if that doesn't happen, here's what will your heart will change. By praying for God's blessing on your enemies, you will start seeing them the way that God sees them. Not as monsters, but as sinful, broken people just as much in need of God's grace as you are. You will start to develop compassion for them, empathy. And perhaps, perhaps, you will start to dream of a day in which your enemies are not destroyed, but healed welcomed into the family and worshiping Jesus by your side. So there it is. Compliment those who outrage you. Act in love toward those who hate you and pray for your enemies. It's outrageous, right? This is wild stuff. But guys, in this divided time, this is exactly the kind of posture that we need to bring to our world if we ever want to see healing. Grace Church, let's be little Christs. Let's be uh, disciples of Jesus. And let's reverse the flow of hostility. Let's conquer hate together with the powerful love of God.